on this episode, oh no, subsea in Silicon Valley, and literally, what is technology? And then, how is technology making the economics of the oil and gas industry more and more robust? gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey, it's Mark LaCour and we're sitting here in Technip FMC's corporate office and it is gorgeous people i when i pulled up i was like oh my god this place is incredible and i'm sitting here with zachary curley and richard i'm gonna get your last name wrong alabaster alabaster no i would have gotten that one right richard thanks for letting me come in here and have y'all on the show hey thanks for coming yeah thanks for having us very happy to be here now people that are listening probably know both legacy companies right fmc and and technique but now y'all are one y'all are one combined company so you've taken all the manufacturing proudness and the quality that FMC has and combine it with the services side that Technip has. And y'all have brought this together in a market that's just starting to pull out of a, a downstream, I mean, an upstream downturn. And when I walk into this building, I feel like I'm in Silicon Valley, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like I'm in an oil and gas office. I feel like I'm in a technology office. And since this is a technology show, I think we're going to start with that right there. So Richard, if I would ask you, what is technology to you? What does that mean? You know, first of all, you're, you know, you're right. We're very proud of our new campus that, that we have here. And yeah, we've tried to create an environment that is very, very conducive to people being creative and enjoying their, their work environment. So coming to creativity, right? I mean, technology for us is at the core of everything that we do. Technology is the means by which we do everything that we do for our customers who are the oil and gas operating companies. And when you think about what we do, particularly in terms of the upstream, helping our customers to go find oil and gas wherever it may be, and particularly, you know, uh, several miles beneath the uh, the ocean and uh, and the ocean floor, in very remote parts of the world, and everything it takes to go find it, and then to be able to extract it safely and and bring it to market, and then further downstream, uh, refine it, process it, and turn it into useful products, it, that just takes enormous breadth and scope of technology. So for us, it's, it's a broad scope. It's not a narrow thing around one particular type of class of technology, whether that might be software and silicon chips. It's way broader than that. It, it, can, it encompasses pretty well every discipline of engineering and technology that you can think of. So we actually think of ourselves very much as a technology company. Is how we do what we do. We are at the forefront of it in, in our particular de, uh, fields. We have been assessed in the past as one of the most innovative and technology advanced companies in the world across any kind of industry that you care to name. And, and we're proud of that. And we intend to continue to do that. Yeah. I'll tell you what's really cool is um, if you listen to one of our other shows, Oil and Gas, this week, you know I've talked about Technique FMC for years because I've seen their manufacturing. And Richard, you nailed it. The fact that you can help an operator in 10,000 feet of water at high pressure, high temperatures, not only find hydrocarbons, but go in production safely mm-hmm. and economically, that is almost insane. Yeah. I had somebody make an analogy one time. It would be like you needed a cavity filled in your tooth and you're in the chair on the bottom of a seventh floor 
office building, and at the very top of the building, somebody, the dentist is drilling. That's yeah. the analogy. And if you think about that, it is crazy. And y'all, to y'all, that is everyday business. Yeah, absolutely. It is phenomenal when you think about it. Actually, think about our industry overall and, and what, what it's able to achieve. You know, going and just finding where this oil and gas is deep beneath the floor of the ocean or deep beneath, you know, fields that are, 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 are on land without being able to, you know, peel back the earth and, and look takes phenomenal sensing capability, data processing capability, and then, and then, as you say, going beyond that to actually go, go look for it, go find it to, to be able to target, you know, something as small as a, the size of a, of, a, of a student's desk from, you know, two miles above the surface of the water, another mile or so down, and then turning horizontally and going another couple of miles through the earth to find that little location and then start to extract the oil and gas is really quite phenomenal. But I don't want to limit it to the upstream side of things as well. You know, the technology that's involved in transporting oil and gas to market to, in a manner that's effective and efficient and cost-effective and environmentally acceptable, and then, and then transforming those products into useful end products for, for consumers or intermediate products for, for further transformation. There's a lot of technology involved in that as well, so I don't want to minimize that part either. Yeah, and y'all are involved in all facets that. It's one of the things that's happening globally is, is most of the world, we, we think, is moving toward LNG or toward gas as yeah. the fuel of the future. Yeah. Right? Y'all are heavily involved in that, in LNG as well. We are. Actually, we're really a major leader in, in LNG. If you, if you look at all of the liquefaction capacity that's installed around the world, we have put 20% of that in place, right? So... That makes us the, the biggest single supplier, if you want, or a company that's, uh, that's done the engineering, procurement, construction of that capacity that's in place around the world for the, the transforming of natural gas into liquefied natural gas that can then be effectively transported around the world and brought to markets in a manner that is, that is attractive economically and helps countries fuel their economies and heat their homes and cook their food and so on. It's really quite interesting, uh, the thing about natural gas, it's, there tends to be a lot of natural gas in places that are far away from where there are a lot of people. So it, you, you tend to find a lot of natural gas in places where there aren't many people, and you tend to need to consume natural gas in places where there are a lot of people, but no natural gas. So uh, that's why transporting it is extremely important. And you know, pipelines can only really take you so far and then after that, you really need to liquefy it and, and ship it around the world. So we're, we're certainly a leader in that. And it's not just in terms of the overall capacity that's, that's been put in place over the, the years. We, we, again, consider ourselves to have been a major technology leader in terms of improving the efficiency of these installations, in terms of keeping costs effective. And then more, more lately, going into areas where we, can, we could go and exploit resources that would otherwise or previously have been uneconomic. And I'm notably thinking of offshore deep water resources where we have been a leader in the development of floating liquefied natural gas and, and have some major projects that we're very, very proud of in that respect. Yeah, I think there's a little one called Prelude out there. Y'all might have touched one. <laughs> Just a little one, yeah. yeah. The world's biggest floating thing, <laughs> which is, has now been deployed offshore Australia an enormous installation that we have built together with our partner Samsung for Shell. It is now in place. It's being commissioned right now. It's already taken on its cool-down cargo, and we expect it to be producing and exporting before too long. 
en- enormously proud of that, uh, that pioneering project. And actually, earlier than that, we also were the ones that built the first floating LNG facility that, that actually has been put into operation, which is known as Malaysia LNG Satu, uh, so the first, the first of the two floating LNGs that Petronas has, has uh, put in place. Yeah, it's mm. folks, you need to go uh, mm. Google, look at some YouTubes on um, Prelude. Mm. It is, when you see the scope and the breadth of what they do, it is almost beyond belief that humans can do this. And we did it as a matter of fact of business. We, we had a major operator needed this project done. They pulled in the right companies to do the engineering and they built it. But it is amazing that mm-hmm. we could even do something like this. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, we're, we're enormously proud. And, and it's actually not just the, the floating LNG facility itself, but we also did develop the subsea completion for, for the field. So again, using our, our advanced technology for subsea as well. So you know, it's something that we're, we, we think is, is, is a trend in the industry is, is integrating across scopes of supply and having the ability to take on a broader scope and, and, and take out interfaces, redundancies, which tend to add cost and certainly add lead time to these projects and therefore impact the economics of, of, of such developments. The, the more we can take, take out cost and the more we can reduce lead time, the better the economics are. Yeah, another thing y'all are good at that really could drive efficiencies in our industry is standardization, right? Mm-hmm. So as Technique FMC, there's a lot of stuff y'all can standardize the thing is, there's a, a cultural element of your clients that aren't quite there yet, even though they know that there's cost savings involved in that. But I've seen y'all over the years um, come up with, um, and I can't say an off-the-shelf tree, because there really is no such thing as an off-the-shelf tree, but y'all are awfully close to having a standard package yeah, that I companies... Think, you know, I think the, the key to that is, you know, the way we kind of think of it is, if you, can, if you can build something that's a bit like Lego blocks, right? So the standards are the blocks, but the way you put them together gives you a lot of different possibilities. So you can configure the blocks in different ways and you can make different things. So what you can do is you can, you can build the blocks how you want, put them together how you want. What you can't get is a new block, right? So as long as those blocks are smart, well-standardized, and allow you that ability to configure, you don't need a new block. And that thing makes things a lot simpler. It makes it a lot faster. It makes it a lot less expensive. We're making a lot of progress on that. We have such systems now out there. I think we are getting a lot of comprehension with our customers that supplier-driven standardization makes a lot of sense. It's, I think there's a lot of realization that not every single customer has to have their own particular specifications around the same thing that they're all buying and using. But that being said, I think that there are nonetheless some barriers. It is, it is difficult for operational personnel to let go some of the things that they've had in place for, for various reasons and, and often legitimate reasons, you know, particularly when, when people are concerned around making sure that, that projects are going to be successful, that safety is protected and so on and so forth. So you know, people need to do their due, due diligence to make sure that, that what is being proposed is, is going to meet all of those criteria. So that, that takes a little bit of time. Yeah, and it's also the culture of industry. So if, if, if you're in this industry, you know what I'm talking about. If you're outside of the industry, you might be amazed to understand that from the outside, we look like we're an old-fashioned industry. We're not. We're risk-adverse, and there's a difference, right? Mm. In our industry, when somebody makes a mistake, the consequences can be horrific, yes. right? Yeah. And so when a company has a process in place, and whether it's how they spec a tree or they do accounts receivable or seam in a well – and nothing leaks and nothing blows up. Nobody wants to change the process. That's a cultural thing of our industry. And that's what y'all are running into, right? 
Yeah, you know, actually, it's interesting you say risk averse. I, I would I would argue we're you know we're, we're a very risk taking industry. If you think about the the risk that that you have to take on when you 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 basically have to think about what you believe the price of your product is going to be for the next three decades. And upon that, you are making a bet, effectively, of an investment of many tens of billions of dollars to go develop a particular asset. I'm thinking of the, of the more advanced and costly projects, particularly deep water projects. You have to marshal enormous resources, incredible technology. You have to make all of that work and keep to schedule and then rely upon the cash flow stream that you're going to get over the next 30 years to pay back that project and to create value for your investors, that's incredibly risk-taking if you think about it, the, the ability of our industry to go do that. But you're right. At the same time, we, ha- we have had to be extremely risk-averse when it comes to making sure that we do that safely and in a way that protects the environment. So that's where you get the, the risk-averse nature of our of our industry. So it's a little bit, you could argue it's a little bit bipolar, very risk-taking from a commercial and a commercial standpoint and a willingness to, to take on large, large projects, but by the same token, very cautious when it comes to making sure that we, we keep people safe and we keep the environment safe as well. It's yeah. funny you brought that up. If most of the world knew what our final adjusted margins were in upstream, nobody would spend a dollar. <laughs> McDonald's margins are better than ours. Now, it's big dollars, right? But the margins are actually much slimmer than most people think. And you're right. It's, it's to, to have a project that goes from sputting the well to decommissioning, and it's 50 years, mm-hmm. and you got to make sure that you, you hit your project deliverable dates and your milestones for yeah. the entire 50 years. Nobody does that yeah. except us. Yeah, and you know, from the moment you start investing and start deploying resources, you know, it, it, may, it might take 10 years before you even start to get cash flow coming, coming back to you, right? So that's incredible risk-taking, if you like. That's been developed over, obviously, a long time and is based upon a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience. But nonetheless, it's pretty big, pretty big risk. So let's loop this back around because this is pretty cool because this is a very capital-intensive industry. You know, a single deep water project somewhere in the world could be a $60 billion investment, right? Mm-hmm. So let's loop that around. Is technology also helping us become better financial leaders in the industry? Is the, is the technology helping us make smarter business decisions? Absolutely. And it's not just helping us make smarter business decisions, but it's helping make those, the economics of, of these projects, whether they be onshore or shale, unconventional, whether they be deep water or whether they be downstream ethylene plant or whatever. But the technology is helping make the economics more and more robust as the technology evolves. If, if the technology isn't bringing you lower cost and faster time to market, you've got to wonder why you're doing it, right? And um, better safety. And, yeah, obviously whilst you know, absolutely ensuring safety and environmental protection. But if you are really want to take, take the world forward, improving the economics of, the, of, of, ex, of finding and extracting and bringing to market oil and gas has to be what the technology is all about. And that is definitely happening. Again, I mentioned earlier, it's the reason for being, for our company at least, and I know there's a lot of others in the industry as well that think that way. So it's extremely important that 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 happens. And of course, as you make the economics of these developments better, then you take the risk down as well. And and that uh, that means that the activity remains sustained and, and is more robust going forward. And 
we can continue to help the world develop. Yeah, and, and, and if you don't know this, if you're from the different part of the industry, we have a lot of emerging economies around the world that are, that are bringing their people from a rural agrarian lifestyle, so basically a large family grows enough food to feed themselves, up to modern standards. The one thing that's, that's crucial for that is cheap, abundable, reliable energy. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing things like LNG become the fuel of choice for the rest of the world to bring their populations up. So the demand it will continue to grow. And, but the supply is growing like crazy too. Speaking of technology, you know, there's, there was the peak oil theory that uh, Hubbard uh, came out with Shell in the 70s based upon the data he had at that time. And we have now discovered that there's hydrocarbons everywhere. And because of technology, you talked about the Shell plays, we now can access those hydrocarbons that 10 or 15 years ago we couldn't economically. Yeah. So if you think about that trend, Zachary, you think about moving forward in the future, do you think that we will still discover more techniques, more tools, more technologies to allow us to access hydrocarbons that right now we can't? Yeah, absolutely. I think what we see now is not only an investment in the, in the traditional machinery of oil and gas and the iron, but also you can just even look at the startup scene around oil and gas. Right? There's an amazing amount of investment just going in to make our companies more efficient and more effective with that exploration or extraction or whatever aspect of that. Yeah, we actually have an oil gas startups podcast for that exact reason. 20 years ago, exactly. nobody, no large operator would invest in a, in a startup or buy because it was a risk. Now it's flipped and the large companies realize that what they need to compete in the future may come from some two-man shop in, in Iowa. Mm-hmm. And, and I think startups too look at our industry and go, wow, that's a massive industry with exceptional opportunity for, you know, quote unquote, digitization, making greater efficiencies with more modern sets of technology. Yeah, that's, the, that's part of the audience for this show right now is we have a lot of people that work in oil and gas that listen to the show, but we have a lot of Silicon Valleys. And yes, I'm talking about you, Israel, and less, yes, I'm talking about you, Austin, Texas, that see the potential in industry and they have the understanding of the technology, but what they don't have, and this is crucial, is they don't understand our industry, right? So they have a tool. They don't understand, always know where that tool fits. And just because you can buy a tool doesn't mean you should. Mm-hmm. Same way with technology. I've seen a lot of companies in the last 20 years invest in technology tools not understanding that their culture either wouldn't adopt it or it wasn't the right tool for the problem they're trying Mm -hmm. to fix so when you you look at technique fmc and you're looking at the future and the technologies how do you vet new technologies it has to be a process that you use to make sure that you're exposed to what's available at the same time making sure that you don't bring in something that doesn't fix the problem just because it's shiny and flashy yeah, I think we'd, we'd probably do it through many different avenues. <laughs> you know, I think at the end of the day, what we, we strive to be is customer-centric, right? Mm-hmm. We, we focus on our customers' outcomes, those project economics, and then we apply various means by which we uh, create technology around that to, cre- you know, at the end of the day, create value, right? More and more value every single time. My, my background, would I would lean more on the digital side of things, right? And we, we, we do our best and we, we create partnerships and ecosystems that bring in talent, that bring in the technologies that we may not have. We keep ourselves abreast of different regions and different countries and different vendors that augment what we may be traditionally focused on and just to make us better all the time. And I think Zach's right. I mean, so it starts with the realization that any kind of technology, whether it be digital or others, is, is, a, is a means to an end. It's, it's a tool to solve a problem and has to serve a purpose. 
if you start by saying, hey, I've got this cool digital stuff and it's just so cool, I'm just going to go use it, you're really going backwards, right? You're starting at the wrong end. You need to start with, hey, I've got this problem I need to solve and how is the best way to solve that? What technologies can I bring to bear to do that in the most cost-effective and efficient manner? Turns out that there's a lot that digital can do to help us in that respect. And so that's kind of been our approach. I have to say, though, you do have to do a bit of experimenting. You have to try some stuff. So there's a little bit of trial and error involved. And as you try stuff and see what works and what doesn't, it, you become very quickly a lot better at deciding what, what to go with and, and, and how to apply it and, and what doesn't make sense. So that's what's been working for us, I think. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So in the last, say, five years, four or five years, I've seen 100 field data collection systems, right? From mm-hmm. startups, with smart people come up with some really cool stuff, right? They skip the connectivity part. Because they're not from my industry, they just assume everybody has Wi-Fi coverage everywhere, mm-hmm. or there's cellular everywhere. Yeah. So something that simple about not understanding that there's not always connectivity, or if there is yeah. connectivity, maybe a latency component because it's VSAT mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Very fundamental thing. So l- let me flip that around. That's the tech industry learning about us. Mm-hmm. Y'all interface with a lot, a lot of tech vendors. Do y'all learn stuff from the tech vendors? Do y'all sometimes go, whoa, mm-hmm. that's really valuable? Yeah, so wholeheartedly. So we, we spend time... I think what we see, I, my personal bias would be, is that we we want to increase collaboration, right? And I think we want to increase collaboration with our peers and with tech vendors because we recognize that, you know, the pace of innovation has to increase in our sector. And I think it's, it's not that it's moving terribly slow, but it can only get faster. It's getting faster. I, in exactly. my 20-something years, I've never seen our industry look at and adopt new technologies and processes as quick as it's doing now. Now, before everybody gets excited, it's still glacially slow. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. But, but the, it is changing. And it's nice to see it change. Yeah. yeah. I think certain functions of our business are perhaps slower than others. There are parts of our business that, and this is our customers working with us directly, they're asking us to move faster. And they're mm-hmm. willing to co-innovate with us. I've never seen that before, and my, my career is relatively young, but I think it's exciting. He's calling us old, Richard. That's what yeah, that no, was. Yeah, yeah. I don't that. <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll make him pay later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you, know, you, you said earlier how it has been difficult for perhaps smaller digital players to figure out how to come in and help us in our industry because we're the ones who understand the application, right? Well, that's true, but it's, it's also a little bit the other way around. We understand the application, but we don't necessarily understand what's possible, which, of course, they do. So there has to be a certain degree of working together, some discovery together. I don't think you can be, be sitting separately in your own corners trying to discover on your own. So, so that's what we've been really trying to, to, to break through and, and to, to work with. And I think we're having some success on that. You know, the way we think of digital the purpose of digital within our company is, is kind of three things. One is around efficiency. We think that we can become a lot more efficient with our own internal operations through better use of digital, and we're certainly seeing a lot of that. And that helps lower our costs and make us faster, which just is of benefit to our customers. Uh, another is expansion. So for, that, for us, expansion means moving into new areas or new applications that might not have been possible up until now without that kind of capability that digital brings to us. So new frontiers, new solutions, and so on. And then the final would be around the experience for our customers in dealing with us. You know, the, 
There's a lot of interactions between us and our customers, a lot of transactions. A lot of that takes a lot of energy. It can be, let's say, a little painful. You're not talking uh, about scope creep, are you? Well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> but there's just, you know, the paperwork involved and the, yeah, just the complications and the, the backwards and forwards to clarify things and get them sorted out. And, is, you know, it, it, can be, it can be a complex and sometimes bureaucratic journey in A, just figuring out what the customer needs and getting that uh, quoted to them and then getting that turned into a, a contract and then executing that, that contract and handing over and, and, and so on. It's, it's pretty, pretty heavy and intensive. And we think, again, a lot can be done to simplify that, to streamline it, to make it faster, to make it uh, more agreeable, perhaps even pleasant. And, and so that would be the third area that we, we're pretty focused on. So I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I know what it looks like to have to do a large CapEx project, have a handoff package, which back in my day was still done on paper. So you have oh, these big five-inch yeah. ring binders, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Blockchain. The first mm-hmm. time I understood what a blockchain was, the very first thing I thought it was that process. Yeah, like absolutely. nobody can yeah. lie, right? And you can track everything and it's yeah. quick. Yeah. And so I think there's a great application. And as far as I know, I think all the majors now have invested in blockchain in their supply chain for, yeah. for this exact reason, right? Yeah. And then what some of the audience may not know is, is Technique FMC, like the oil and gas industry, is a global organization. They have to be. Their customers are global. They have to be global, which means the rules that you have to follow in Lafayette, Louisiana, is different than the rules you have to follow in Nigeria, mm-hmm. right? Things like local content stuff. So overlay the complexity of doing business with the changes depending on where you are in the world, and you have no idea how much – Man hours are involved sometimes mm-hmm. in something as simple as a tender, as a bid. Absolutely. Because of this thing. Mm-hmm. And it's a mess. And you're right. If we could clean that up, I don't know if, if it ever gets to present, pleasant, I will buy you a nice dinner. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> we'll enjoy the dinner today, together. But if it just to got pay. easier, wouldn't, yeah. it would make it better for everybody. Because yeah. trust me, the, the guys on the other end don't like going through this process either. Yeah. 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 So when we, when we talk about technology, when we talk about companies that are working in the oil and gas industry, a lot of people think – myself included, and you mentioned it earlier, Zach, iron. You, you think of things like the iron roughneck, which, by the way, have, have either one of y'all been in an offshore rig in like the last 10 years? Have you seen one? Yes. The drilling floor is so small now. The first mm-hmm. time I ever went offshore was 15 years ago, and we did an offshore rig tour a year or so ago with our young professionals, and I was dumbfounded. That's practical technology. Pipe handling, iron roughneck. The drilling floor is like this big now because there's mm-hmm. nobody there with tongs and change. The side effect that is people keep their fingers Right. When I got started in this industry, you measured somebody's experience as a roughneck by how many fingers he was missing. Mm-hmm. That's horrible. And that's gone now, at mm-hmm. least here and in Europe. So when you're looking at that practical type of technology, what a lot of people don't understand is there's also a need for the business process to adapt technology change. So the stuff that's in the back office. I'm guessing y'all are SAP shop because you're a manufacturer, right? We're, we're both shops, actually. Are you really? Oracle mm-hmm. and SAP. Oh, that's a whole mm-hmm. story in itself. I'm yeah. not going to go down that rabbit yeah, hole. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's okay. But when you look at the big tech vendors, so you look at the Microsofts and SAPs and Oracles, for a long time in my experience, and, and I know those guys well, they weren't quick to move either, right? They were, they were oh. big old chips. I'm starting to see that change. Are y'all starting to see that change as well? Yeah, Microsoft, you know, they're they're very dynamic nowadays. It's reflected obviously in their stock price. Their but, new CEO is kicking butt. I, I yeah. love it. We Incredible. we moved over to an Office 365 environment because you're crazy not to. Yeah. 15 bucks a user, I have all the security, you know, updates, they handle all the disaster recovery, whatever, and it just works. Exactly. Yeah. And, our, and our benefit, you know, our companies like ours, we just benefit directly from that. You know, it's the consumerization of IT only helps massive organizations like us be more efficient. 
And, and so it, we, we see them all the time. They're adapting quicker. These big companies that haven't had to move for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, they're, they're starting to catch up. They're, they're understanding that to be competitive and to be attractive, both from a financial point of view, but also from a attracting the right type of people point of view, you need to do that. Right. Yeah, and, and one of the things I'm seeing that's different is they're starting to change speaking of business the way they do business. I've seen them do contracts where instead of it's X amount for X, it's let's open the books to each other and let's agree what's on a fair profit. And then let's just get business done. That's a fundamental shift that benefits everybody. Collaboration. It's collaboration. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Their Azure platform, their Azure platform is permeated through our entire industry. It's hard for me to find a company that's not tapped into that in some way or some fashion. But a lot of the traffic on, on Azure is Linux. The old Microsoft would have never let a competitor's product on their platform. They're, they're going places now. I, I worried about them for a long time, and now they are definitely going places. Y'all are another company that's going places, right? So I know y'all from the subsea world, which is fascinating to the nth degree. Y'all are, y'all are strong on land as well. Y'all call it surface, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, we're, we've always been strong on surface. In fact, we started on the surface, if you like, because subsea came along later. It's interesting, actually, what we're seeing is, you know, technologies that were developed on the surface, then went subsea, and now we're starting to see some of them come back again, because for subsea, of course, we had to develop a a lot around compactness, high internal efficiencies, and we're now starting to see that um, that has application on the surface, particularly in things like like, uh, unconventional and shale and so on, where you're, you're talking about such a large series of the same thing. In other words, you're really talking about manufacturing of wells and well sites now as opposed to these individual one-off projects where the design is different every time. So when you're wanting to, to produce high numbers of the same thing very quickly, you want those things to be as small, compact, and as, and as efficient as possible. So so we're certainly seeing a trend in that direction, and that's, that seems to be uh, something that'll, that'll help drive, again, the economics even further in the right direction. This is also like a, an opportunity for technology and creativity, right? So mm-hmm. we're driving these economics now onshore with all these new advanced technologies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the next generation of people coming up that we need to attract out there with the creativity and the technology know-how when we throw out the word blockchain, they just natively understand what that is, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we need those people out there helping us figure out even more efficiency, right? And changing those economics for even better, right? And I think that trend will continue. It's, we talked about this before we turned the microphone on, but our industry as a whole is facing the talent charge coming at us like a freight train. And I don't just mean petroleum engineers. I mean accountants and project managers and electricians and HR people. Because our industry as a whole has not done a good job of letting the planet understand the good stuff that we do, right? Mm. So there's a lot of misconceptions out there. And, and I take full responsibility. As, an, as part of our industry, we, we have not done a good job of doing that. And, and as, a, as a group, we're working on getting another show up to help spread some of that good word. But when you look at these young people, and, and this, this new younger workforce, I think, is wonderful. They, yeah. they think differently than I do. They actually think better than I do. There's some fundamental stepping stones that I don't think they've figured out completely yet, things like strategic thinking, because honestly, if they need to figure out how to change a flat tire, they can YouTube it, right? Yeah. Which means they don't have to have experience to do the same quality of work as somebody that doesn't have experience if they can do learning on demand. Mm-hmm. The flip side of that, though, is if that's the talent that we need to attract, which I agree with you, we need to attract those people, 
we're now competing with things like Silicon Valley, right? With with exactly. other that has a much higher public perception than than we do. What do you think we need to do? Yeah. So, I, I, but I think you know they're attracted to Silicon Valley, obviously, because it's it looks good, right? It's all it's sexy. And it's, it's very fast. sexy, yeah. right? And lots all of over social media, yeah. Lots of good, uh, yeah, TV shows. But I think what we what we need to articulate that there's there's deep challenges to be solved within our industry, right? And I would feel that the generations coming up now they're looking for challenge, looking for purpose in their work, right? For sure, they want the niceties, right? But I think. When I when I see the generations coming up now, that what they, they're they're hungry, right? They're they're hungry. They're for like a sponges for experience. Absolutely. Yeah. So even though they might learn differently, they just it's just different. That's all. And when they when they look at their jobs nowadays, they're not looking for necessarily a a fifty year career at one place. They're looking for purposes or a purpose and a deep challenge to go solve where they can be creative and you know add values every single day. And you know, I, I think that purpose is there. You know, I, you know, you alluded to it, but I, I, I think it's difficult to overstate the enormous benefit that our industry, the oil and gas industry, has brought has brought to the planet and to the population of the Earth in the 150 plus years of of our of our existence. When you think about the sheer scale of lifting of people out of poverty of making people's lives much better, more agreeable, more secure in terms of fighting hunger and, and, and having people healthy and things like ability to travel around the world at will. You know, if, if, if oil and gas wasn't directly responsible for that, then it was probably the major underpinning enabler of a lot of that. And I include even advances in biotechnology and so on. So it's it's hard to overstate. I think the, the the enormous benefit of such cheap and abundant and economically beneficial energy that that oil and gas has brought to the world. That being said, though, there's a challenge in front of us, and we all know what that is. The the huge development that that has driven and enabled has also now started to 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 have effects on the environment, and so that's a challenge to be overcome. Are you talking about renewables? Well. No, I'm not talking about renewables because you know, let's let's be real, right? Let's I talk, mean, yeah. renewables ain't going to do it for us anytime soon. They right? have their place, but it's just their place. Yeah, well, it's just not scalable fast enough to be able to to deal with the issue that's 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 facing us. So, you know, I would argue that oil and gas has been a major solver of the world's problems for its 150 years, and it will con- need to continue to be Absolutely. a solver of the world's problems. So, you know, I think that we'll see a, 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 an acceleration in the use of natural gas to substitute for, for coal, for example, which is more carbon intensive and, and has other issues as well. And so just, first of all, being able to continue to bring that as an energy source has its challenges. But, but the other challenge is also around mitigating in, in, impacts to the environment. And, and again, I think there's a lot that our can, industry can do there beyond just substituting natural gas for coal, for example. There's a lot we can do to, to, to mitigate the impact or, or even the emission of carbon and, and other greenhouse emissions. An amazing challenge for young people to, to come and address within our industry. So, you know, if I were, if I were talking to a young person today who's looking at our industry, I would, I, I would first of all put emphasis, and I don't think our industry has done enough on this, on on A, the enormous benefit that, that the industry provides and, 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 and that really important purpose, which is to, to keep 
driving the development of the planet in a and 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 do it in a way that is that that's going to be acceptable in terms of the 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 impact on on the planet. And then the second thing I would say is just again coming back to technology. You know, if you think about the sheer scope of technology, we we you know we talked about iron, but it's not iron. It's it's material science, right? Yes, there's a lot of iron in the industry, but a lot of that iron is now getting substituted with you know, composites, yeah, composites and, and carbon fiber, and, and nanotechnology is coming in. And uh, you know, some of the the advances in technology are absolutely phenomenal, and I, and I think there's a lot to be done to apply those advances in in our industry. It's anything to do with uh, aerodynamics and and uh, robotics, and and we talked about digital and we, and and data processing and blockchain and. I mean, the sheer scope of possibilities for anybody in pretty well any technology domain to come into our industry and make a difference is is there. Yeah, internal, and, uh, internal disruption is like ripe yeah. for our sector. Yeah, right? we're right in the middle yeah. of it right now, yeah. and we're in the we're not even in the first inning. Yeah. We're they're still singing the national anthem, and we're at the very beginning. So, yeah. if you're listening and you want to challenge, you want to deal with some of the coolest technology on the planet yeah. and have fun. Yeah. This is the industry come work in. Yeah. 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 This is a good place to yeah. change. You know, it's interesting you brought up the need for hydrocarbons. A lot of the world just doesn't know, right? Mm-hmm. 67% of the world's fed with fertilizer made from natural gas. Nobody mm-hmm. knows that, yes, right? Exactly. Hydrocarbons make up everything that makes our modern life possible. Mm-hmm. So hydrocarbons aren't going anywhere. The greenhouse emissions, we got this. We, we, mm-hmm. we did this in the 70s. Remember the smog over um, L.A.? Remember the acid rain? It's Yeah, gone. remember acid rain. Yeah, right? It's gone. Yeah, yeah. We fixed it. Yeah. Right? And so I'm not worried about any of this other stuff either. I am slightly worried about public perception. We've done a horrible job with that as an industry, but I think even that's starting to turn. I'm thinking a lot of the operators here have learned how to use grassroots feet on the ground, local movements, along with social media, mm-hmm. to get the facts out there, not to talk politics, or, but just the facts. I watched um, Denberry Resources and Anadarko do it last year in Colorado, where they got some pending legislation overturned. And what they did is their employees just went talk to their neighbors saying, do you know that this road wouldn't be here, right? Yeah. Your kids wouldn't be going to this yeah. school. Your husband works for a company that gets 90% of its revenue from the industry, you know? And so I think we need to do more. To, I think we've, we've made that change, that made that turn. But yeah, I agree with you. If, if I was a young person right now and I knew what the oil and gas industry had to bear, I'd be here in a heartbeat. Yeah. We just need to get the story out. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, because we're getting close to wanting to wind down the show, another thing that y'all do that a lot of people don't understand is you help promote that type of education. Y'all, several parts of the world, y'all have schools y'all have either partnered with or y'all stood up to help give that knowledge. Now, y'all as a company, it's, I'm sure it's on your website, but Technique FMC as a company doesn't spend a whole lot of time promoting that. I'm going to promote it right now. I think it's awesome that y'all invest in your local communities where y'all work all around the world. And y'all, y'all don't do it for the PR because you don't use it for PR. You do it because it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. In fact, you know, we, we have a very clear sustainability program that we've developed for, for Technique FMC. Sustainability is one of our five foundational beliefs and a very important one to us. And, and there are three aspects to our sustainability program because we want to be very focused. You can't do everything for everybody. So those three things are in no particular order. We want, we want to assure a balance in gender representation at all levels um, throughout, our, throughout our company. We absolutely want to drive more and more favorable impact on the environment and ensure that everything that we're doing is as sustainable as possible and help our customers to do the same. 
And then the third is that we want to be a real positive actor in our, in our communities. And, and we really f- are focusing there on education, and that is very much around STEM education, so science, technology, and engineering and maths. And a lot of that actually is orientated to, to, to try and to dr- encourage a pipeline of more and more female uh, graduates in those areas that, that can come into our industry and, and help uh, with that first thing that I mentioned, which is gender diversity. So STEM education, very, very important. And then the other thing is, is health, right? So, so we do do a lot around the world in terms of investing in education, in, particularly in less developed areas. You know, we've done some interesting things in, in, in Africa. We've done a great program recently that, that, uh, that we've launched in India around improving health and education in the communities where we are. Extremely important to us. Even, even, even here in Houston, Texas, we do a lot in terms of contributing to the community and, and to better outcomes for perhaps less, less privileged people in the community through, through such things as assisting with the, the United Way campaign and also the American Heart Association, which, which is a, a very strong passion for me. So, yeah, it's, it's extremely important to us. And you're right, we do, we do this because it's the right thing to do. It's not because we're trying to get some some publicity for it or, or whatever. We, we genuinely believe in this and it, it, it's, it's extremely important to us. Yeah. 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 We're getting ready to close that show, but I want to bring up one more thing that y'all don't talk about that I saw with my own two eyes. <laughs> so when Hurricane Harvey came, right, we were mm-hmm. hip deep in that. As an organization, we were able to help a lot of people. I watched your company come together. Oh, I'm going to end up crying. <laughs> I watched your company come together and help each other like a family. Mm-hmm. Y'all, Y'all gave y'all didn't give you my grief missing work. Y'all came together to help people rip out sheetrock and carpet and everything. And that this wasn't from the top down. This is from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. So how cool is a company that's large as Technique FMC? When something bad happens, you quit worrying about being the company and shareholder value, and you just go out there and do the right thing and help your fellow man. I, I love that. I, I mean, hats off for y'all for doing it. And I saw it with my own two eyes. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. You know, I, I would say that it wasn't just us, though. I mean, a- actually, our industry. Our was, industry, correct. It was amazing. You know, the, just a couple of phone calls amongst a certain number of CEOs, ours included, and, you know, those from, from our customers and so on, and very quick decisions taken about contributing money, contributing equipment, contributing personnel, and then, and then yes, very much grassroots from, from people within uh, all of these companies to go help each other out. I, I was... I have to say, very, very impressed with, with how everybody pulled together here in Houston, whether it be in, from the oil and gas industry or, or, or other sectors of, uh, of the community. And, you know, I've, I've got to believe that that had a, a major mitigating effect on, on what could have been re- really far, far worse. Oh, yeah. by yeah. far. Yeah. yeah. All right, so we're gonna come back. We're gonna come. We're gonna have Technique FMC on several times. Today. I, I've literally just scratched the iceberg of the cool mm-hmm. stuff they do from a tech point of view. Before we get out of here, just real quick, if people want to learn more about Technique FMC, where should they go? Check out our website at techniquefmc.com. Okay, and if they want to learn about you personally, I'm guessing LinkedIn. Yeah, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn. You What's won't find you won't find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> so Zachary, is that our goal? But the next time I come in here, we get Richard on. on on LinkedIn. Yeah. Is that a hard one? I'll, I'll get that. Done. <laughs> uh, All right. So we're going to put links in the show notes, everything. So people, if you're uh, listening to this on a mobile device, just swipe to the left. You'll have the links you just click on. If not, go to oilandgastechnology.com. You can sign up. Zachary, Richard, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, Thank you, Mark. you, Mark. Appreciate it very much. Thanks. Much appreciated.
Man, what great conversations that was. We're at the product review section. So we're looking for tech products. Does not have to have anything to do with oil and gas for us to reveal on your show. So if you know of something that's really cool or if you have something that's really cool, uh, go to the show notes and reach out to us and let us know what it is and we'll, we'll review your product on the show. Disclaimer, a lot of times companies give us things. So we try not to bias our reviews. So if you give us something and we think it's really cool, we'll let you know. And if it needs some improvement, we'll let our audience know that as well. Uh, it's time for the giveaway except Flutour and I are working on some top secret stuff, so we can't reveal what the giveaway is yet. I promise you by episode six or seven, we'll be giving away something really cool every week, so listen for that. And then go check out the website. If you like the show, go check out oilandgastechpodcast.com. That's oilandgastechpodcast.com. While you're there, give us your email. We promise never to spam you, and this way you get alerted when we do something really cool or new. And while you're out there looking for places to join, go check out our LinkedIn group. It's OGGN.com on LinkedIn. Our LinkedIn group's strong. It's the companion to this show and all of our other oil and gas podcasts. So we are making sure that you don't get left behind one podcast at a time. And here are events on deck with Julie. Hey everyone, it's Julie here with the events on deck for May 2019. We have our Midland Happy Hour on May 21st at Midland Beer Garden, and it will be from six to nine. And then we have our Houston Happy Hour and it's going to be at the Canon from 6 to 9 on May 28th. This month we have the Oil and Gas Smart Contracts Conference on May 15th and 16th. And we will actually be launching another one of our new podcasts live from that event. So check it out. The link is in the show notes. We have the Merge Market Energy Forum on May 21st. At, it's in Houston. Just check that out in the show notes. And then we have a charity event, Golf for Good. That's a golf charity event for Redeemed Ministries. That's going to be on June 11th, 2019. And they are still looking for sponsors. So check that out in our show notes. And if you want to sponsor or register, just click the link in the show notes. And that is it for the month of May. Some events on deck in the, the coming months. We have Shoot for the Future, a clay shoot on Friday, July 26th. And then NAPES and the, the NAPES summer is coming up in August. And that is it for our upcoming events. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil and Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.